When I went to Moody Bible Institute to get in, I had to sign a doctrinal statement. And in order to graduate, I had to sign the same doctrinal statement, which means that over four years, I wasn't supposed to learn. I was supposed to go deeper into the same set of beliefs I came in with. I'm Mitch. And I'm Missy. We're co-workers. He's the boss. And we're married. And she's the boss. Together, we host Good Faith Weekly, a podcast on faith and culture. What could possibly go wrong? Tune in and find out. Missy. Welcome to Good Faith Weekly. On this episode, Missy and I are going to reminisce about Christmas week. We're really excited about the holidays as they're right around the corner. And then later on the pod, Missy and I sat down with Reverend Brandon Robertson from New York City. His brand new book is Dry Bones and Holy Wars. It is a great conversation that you're going to stick around for. Merry Christmas, Missy. Merry Christmas. Oh, folks, it is a sad, sad state here in the Randall House. It is Christmas week, and Mrs. Claus has come down with a cold. I'm so sick, (laughs) but we are so excited because of my not being able to speak. We have enlisted the best fill-in guest host we could find in the house. Absolutely. That was awake. <laughs> yeah, both of our boys are back in town uh, from uh, their places where they live, out in California and New Hampshire, and uh, we've been having a great time with them. But setting in with us today is none other than our eldest, Cole Randall. Cole, welcome to Good Faith Weekly. Hi. hello thanks thanks for having me on yeah thanks for stepping up yeah thanks for stepping up i mean you know mom just came down with the crud and so appreciate you stepping in and uh, uh, that's totally in a pitch hitter today seeing that it is christmas i was you had asked me if i wanted to just set this one out completely since my throat hurts so bad but we have to exchange our christmas gifts Oh, <laughs> well, uh, yours is uh, on the way. <laughs> you got the tracking well, number uh, on that? Can we do some like receipts? I need some proof that this exists. So I do have a gift for you. And for those of you keeping track, I believe this is my third time to show up on the pod with a gift for you. You're still trying to get to the permanent gig. Zero? That's what, yeah. No, I'm trying to not get it. Which, uh, this is my favorite way to do gifts, by the way, is for me to give you something and you not, because I'm a horrible gift receiver. Well, that's true, right? That is true, okay. yeah. yeah. Because I'd give you something really great and it would just kind of like, you'd look at sure, it. Sure, just sit there. Anyways, so oh, I have point, to find a place for this. <laughs> I'll show you where to put it. I need Cole to video so we can get something for the socials and not get me in it because I'm sitting here with a mask and looking like death. Yeah, no, totally. You're definitely not going to be in it. <laughs> you're definitely going to be in it. Yeah, she's no, definitely giving off the okay. uh, no, so Christmas uh, future Merry spirit. Christmas. Well, thank you. Wow, this is very patriotic. Well, <laughs> uh, I cannot reason. wait to see what is inside this candy cane. <laughs> still in box. the video. It's so funny. <laughs> wow. Oh, my gosh. Oh, it's a box from Amazon. Just what I wanted. You gotta hurry oh, it up there, buddy. They can't see. I know. I'm trying. I'm trying. You, why did you tape it? <laughs> so I could wrap it. Okay. All right. Breaking through the taped box. Here A little uh, ASMR for all our listeners. <laughs> Oh, it is a Wonder Woman costume. No, don't say that. That's like, no, it's a cape. Is this for you to wear? No. <laughs> no, it's a cape. You, For those who are regular listeners, as I'm sure you are, just like our son is, right? Every week? By, by week? Yeah, it's called Good Every Faith week. Weekly. Yes. <laughs> I'm sure you listen. Yes. For those of you who are regular listeners, you'll know that a few weeks ago we talked about how Mitch used to dress up as Wonder Woman as a kid. And he had the cape and he used uh, like athletic tape, I think, for yes, the cuffs. I did. Now I don't have to. Now be, you don't because I do got you actual pretend. real cuffs. Oh, and it's got the cord. And it oh has my the lasso. gosh, the lasso. Now there is the some question truth. as to whether the belt and the headband will fit. What do you mean? Well, you know. 
Nope. It's not going to fit. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just set it right here on my lap. Anywho. Uh, so, yeah. So, that's if you yeah. didn't oh, listen, you'll have to go the, back and listen to a couple of weeks yeah. ago. It's Dolly Lithwick's episode. We talked about uh, Oh, my gosh. Heroes. I'm so excited. I've got the, the cuffs. I don't even know if the cuffs are going to work, too. So, now you can. Well, I think you've got them on upside down. But, anyways, yeah. we need to move on. All right. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you fun. so much. This is great. So, uh, now you can wear that cape instead of the one we usually accuse you of wearing which is the captain obvious captain obvious cape. Cape. Yes, yes 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 so well i love it thank you so much and yeah. like i said your gift is on the way i'm sure it is <laughs> well it is christmas week and appreciate cole coming on the pod to talk a little bit about our favorite memories of christmas and so you know cole you've spent 26 christmases with us uh we're about to be 26 christmases with us so yeah. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, some of your favorite memories of Christmas. I remember one of my favorite Christmases was this one year uh, when we were living in Texas, and I have no idea how old I was, but I do remember I was sick with, I believe, strep. You had the flu. You and the Tanner flu. had the flu. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Alrighty. So we had the flu, and we also had like 15 people. In 19. Our house. 19 people in our house. Mm-hmm. Um, we thought we would spread the flu a little far and wide. Better. Exactly. Yeah. Spreading the love, as That's I like right. to think of it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, no, it was a lot of fun because we were all just kind of crammed in together. Yeah. And these 19 the people cousins. just didn't come over for dinner or for gift exchange. They spent the night. Everyone? Yeah. Spent the night. So let me give a little context. You you guys were not sick by the time people got there, but we did have all of my family, extended family, come for the night of Christmas Eve and Christmas morning. And I we had babies sleeping in closets and I mean mattresses and pallets. Mitch and I slept underneath the dining room <laughs> table on the floor. Yes. We had as comfortable beds as we could get for everyone. And then we kind of looked at each other when it was time to go to bed and we're like, wait, we forgot about us. <laughs> so we slept under the dining room table next to my mother's geriatric shih tzu that could not breathe and listen to the dog snore, snore all, all night. night. But yeah. the funnier part of that story is that that was one year where Christmas day was on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. And so you had to get up and go to church. Yes, I did. The rest of us did not, but no, that was sinners. <laughs> we were, we were sleepy. <laughs> it was so fun. We had everybody spread out in our game room. Um, lots, yeah. yeah, it was lots of fun. It was a good time. I remember that uh, that Christmas uh, we got Star Wars Battlefront Two, and yeah. that was the first one that had uh, space fights in it. Mm-hmm. And so, like me and my uncles and, you know, cousins were just, like, switching off playing, who, like, you got to play and everything. And, like, yeah, it was a good Christmas morning. That was awesome. fun. That my great. favorite part of that Christmas was that you and Tanner did have the flu, which sounds funny, but um, the week Thanks. leading up to Christmas. As <laughs> it's pre- the gift that always It is. As, as you're preparing to host all of these people and you're fretting about getting your house ready, I decided to repaint the downstairs. I don't know what I was thinking. But um, I on paint fumes. The best <laughs> gift that I got was that you guys had just enough of a flu to be laying on the couch all week, not getting into things, not needing anything except some food every now and again in videos. So I actually got a ton done, got the whole house painted, and then just in time for everybody to arrive, you guys were back to normal and feeling great. So well, all it was a out. Christmas miracle. It was a Christmas miracle. So now that you're sick, should the boys and I like be painting or doing something productive? Probably. I'll give you a list. <laughs> just give me a paintbrush. Tell me what to paint. Right. Mitch, what about you? you have a Christmas memory? Uh, oh, share? my goodness. Uh, I've got lots. I mean, of course, every Christmas with the boys was very special. I remember the first Christmas that Cole was born, the obscene amount of gifts that were bestowed upon him in our little house in Kansas. And it was so cold uh, that day, uh, but uh, that was a great time. But probably remember the, uh, we were so excited. I think we were going to be going down to Texas uh, from Oklahoma on a Christmas day. And we had a blizzard mm-hmm. blow in and we just got stuck here by ourselves. And, uh, we stayed here. We went over and spent some time with some friends, so the boys could, you know, p- you know, play with their some of their friends on Christmas Day. Uh, but you know what? Believe it or not, Hang one on, of the most time out. I love that you find that a sweet memory because that was so stressful. You probably forgotten 
but Santa didn't get word and delivered all of the gifts to grandparents at Tex- in Texas. So, oh, I do remember yeah, that. So that Santa. was Come very on, stressful. Santa. Anyways, go ahead. Uh, but probably more recently, and this, I, I wish it wouldn't have happened, but the COVID Christmas. COVID was, Christmas rocked. <laughs> when it was just, Not gonna lie, it was just the four of us, and <laughs> it, was, it was quiet. It was, it was a nice, intimate memory for me just for the four of us, because sometimes Christmas gets so chaotic and crazy and it's good crazy when you're, you're going and seeing family and friends and spending time with folks and, and just going here and there. But that year it was just the four of us and it just seemed like a little peace on earth. Uh, that, that All year. right. All right. Well, I've teed yeah. it up for you twice now and you still haven't hit on the right story that you were supposed to share. So. Oh wait, hold on. I think I might know it because actually, since talking, I think that my favorite Christmas took place in a little town known as Bethlehem. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you've heard of it. Well, look at you, star well, of Sunday school. No, no that a, is not. You're a star. But you know what? We'll add a star to your chart. Oh, yes. When you were a kid, the story that you always tell about Tyler. baseball. Oh, Tyler. dude, Tyler. Tyler. Oh, Tyler. come on, man. Oh. Yeah, my brother was notorious for waking up at ungodly hours on Christmas morning and waking up the rest of the family, whether he was just being noisy or whether he was in the kitchen clanging around. He wanted to make certain everybody was up to enjoy uh, Christmas morning. Well, this one particular morning, it was dark 30, and I'm talking 4, 4.30 or something like that, when all of a sudden... Up from my bed, I rose. With such a clatter. With such a clatter. What was the clatter? The clatter was the smoke alarm going off and just wailing through the night. It was just, I mean, it was terrifying because, I mean, it's Christmas. I mean, we had candles out. We had, mm-hmm. we'd, you know, actually built a fire. We had a gas fireplace. Mm-hmm. So I was really worried that the house was on fire. So uh, I jump out of bed, you know, throw, uh, throw off the covers and uh, throw open the door. And as I throw open the door, I look down the hallway where my brother's room was. And right between my room and my brother's room, he was standing on uh, a chair with a couple of books to make certain he had the right height. And he had gotten a match and lit a match and was holding it up to the fire alarm. And I said, Tyler, I cannot believe you're doing this. At which time my parents arrived upstairs. Because that's what you do in a fire, right? You go yeah, upstairs. You go upstairs, okay. exactly right. right. And they were looking at him on the other opposite or the opposite end of the stairway. I was at the, uh, my room. We were all just yelling at my brother and he was grinning from ear to ear he said it's christmas it's time to go open presents i think i think the, the quote is well now that we're all up yeah yeah well now that we're all up let's go open presents. you're presents. wondering why i've assembled you here <laughs> but yes uh, that was a memorable christmas for me uh, growing up in tulsa absolutely well thanks guys for sharing thanks cole i know i end up yeah. rambling more than i thought i would so oh. i will Hunt it to you for well, the outro for commentary. Yeah. But well, we really do hope that you feel better and get back to bed. I, I think that's where I'm heading. So. Yeah. All right. And, hey, th- and thanks medicine. for the gift. Appreciate hey, that. You're welcome. Yeah. Can't wait to show my cape off. Uh, okay. <laughs> you do that. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, stay tuned because Missy and I sat down with uh, Reverend Brandon Robertson and we talk about his brand new book, Dry Bones and Holy Wars. Hey, listeners, check us out online at goodfaithmedia.org and follow us on social at gfmedia.org. We'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. I'm new here and could really use the feedback, but only if it's glowing. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to Good Faith Weekly. On this episode, we've got a very special guest with us. Reverend Brandon Robertson is a noted author, activist, and public theologian working at the intersections of spirituality, sexuality, and social renewal. Robertson is most known for his work as the TikTok pastor, creating thousands of TikTok videos on inclusive theology and garnering 200,000 followers and nearly 5 million views. Robertson received his Bachelor's of Arts in Pastoral Ministry and Theology from Moody Bible Institute, his Master's 
Masters of Theology Studies from Iliff School of Theology and his Masters of Arts in Political Science and Public Administration from Eastern Illinois University. He is currently pursuing a PhD in religion from Drew University and currently resides in the Big Apple, New York City. His most recent book, Dry Bones and Holy Wars, is out in bookstores now. Brandon, welcome to Good Faith Weekly. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Brandon, I want to start by talking about some very important news that came out of the nation's capital last week. President Biden signed the Respect of Marriage Act that codifies same-sex and interracial marriages. You actually ditched us for Papa Joe <laughs> and went to the White House <laughs> for the signing. So we postponed this interview a, a bit. But tell us about that experience and what that signing meant to you. Totally. It was such a surreal moment for me mm. because just a few years ago, I had the opportunity to stand on the steps of the Supreme Court when the Obergefell marriage equality ruling came down. And that felt like a moment um, for the LGBT community that perhaps we had finally started making progress in our nation and perhaps equality was something we would realize finally as a nation. Um, and it was such a euphoric moment only to see just a few years later, those same protections, that same sense of progress to be rolled back significantly. And so it was honestly um, being at the white house last week and standing with uh, so many activists and political leaders and community members it, it was a bittersweet moment because um, on one hand, of course, we were so grateful that this um, important law was being made a federal law that will finally and fully protect LGBT marriages and interfaith marriages. But it was a little sad that we had to be back here doing this all over again. And there was kind of a reminder, President Biden even spoke about it, that um, the Supreme Court is very far right-wing extremist right now. And there are many uh, folks political leaders in our country that are actively working to find other ways to roll back protections for transgender folks and uh, LGBT folks in general. And so not to, to downplay the, uh, the beauty of the moment, it was so wonderful and frankly sacred to be able to stand at the White House, see it lit up for the second time in history in rainbow colors and uh, hear Cindy Lauper sing true colors as we celebrated this, this momentous moment. But there was a reminder of how much work we still have left to do to actually change hearts and minds in this country instead of uh, just focusing on legislation. So, And that was, it was really exciting to see, Brandon. Uh, and, of course, the reason that the uh, Respect for Marriage Act was even introduced uh, to the House and Senate and then signed by the president was because of recent rulings from this particular Supreme Court. They have made it clear that precedent is off the table. And so after the decision that solidified uh, same-sex marriage across the country, now it seems to be in jeopardy because of this particular court and their attitudes towards any type of precedent uh, that other courts ruled upon. And so while I, and I think you characterize it very well, because this was a great moment. I mean, you had both, you know, both chambers of Congress passing this, and in some instances, very bipartisan, which I thought was important, and then the president signing it. But it's almost we're celebrating, but also understanding that the fight is not over. Because yeah. a lot of concern right now uh, among our LGBTQ plus uh, friends and advocates is that now their rights are just going to be chipped away at one by one by one. And in many instances, it's going to be state by state by state. So before we talk about your book, and you, you talk a little bit about this in the book, can you address that, that particular yep. issue? Yeah, I mean, and that's precisely, again, the sense that I had uh, even going to dinner last week after the, uh, the signing with some LGBT activists and Biden administration folks and just really, again, taking in the beauty of the moment, but being wide-eyed about what we're facing Um the fact that our Supreme Court is solidly so right-wing um, is going to have an impact, not just on LGBT people, but on all sorts of rights and um, liberties that we've won over the past 50 years. Um, and as you mentioned, uh, individual states that have swung pretty far to the right uh, following the Trump era are actively trying to find ways to do everything from 
demonizing drag queens to actually um, taking away protections for LGBT folks, whether that's in housing or jobs or, I mean, even this most recent Supreme Court case um, that's being heard right now about yet another business person from Colorado claiming that uh, to have to build a website for an LGBT wedding would be an affront to her religious liberties and this whole complex question about whether businesses um, have the same religious liberties as individuals have. I mean, all of this is a cover um, for deep-seated fear. And I don't want to just say this is homophobia or transphobia. I think that's too easy and too reductionistic. I think what's happening is so many far-right Republican folks are seeing the nation changing, uh, are seeing their power and their privilege being confronted and in fact lessening. And so they're doubling down on what they determined to double down on 50 years ago, which is abortion and LGBT people, because those, these two issues are so visceral for so many people in middle America that don't interact with LGBT folks daily. Uh, at least they don't think so and, uh, have been solidly pro-life and only think about abortion as photos of aborted fetuses. Like there's these, both of these, uh, issues are very visceral, very emotional. And we see the far right Republicans doubling down on it so that they can play on the fears and emotions of this space and demonize, uh, both pro-choice choice folks and LGBT folks. And I mean, not to take this down a completely harrowing path, but this is what we saw at the Colorado Springs, um, shooting just a few weeks ago. Um, there's a lot of details we don't know, but what is clear is that the rhetoric of political leaders and pundits that is fear-based and fear-mongering and demonizing and stereotyping fear folks and saying that drag queens are out to groom your children, um, that's leading people yeah. to believe that and to take action. And that's going to result in a lot of harm yeah. um, still to come, I fear. And what's disheartening about that is when that rhetoric is posed by our leaders, there is really no consequences after they deliver those kind of remarks. Mm -hmm. And we see actions taken by other people based upon those words. Yeah. Um, and it's just, it's, it's just really disheartening. Uh, it's frustrating, but it just reminds us we've got a long ways to go and we still have to remain in the discussion, in the conversation to, to continue to shape hearts and minds uh, as we think the inclusive gospel portrays. So as you talk about in your book, Yes, your new book takes a yeah. hard look at the challenges facing society today. You advise readers the book is not, quote, answers to our society's many ills, but as provocations to new ways of seeing and being the world. Can you talk to us a little bit about that statement? Expand on that a bit? Yeah, I mean, I think at the heart, that's what the invitation of Jesus is. It's an invitation to see things differently and to learn how to be different in our world. And uh, this whole book was really, it emerged as a series of sermons uh, that I preached while I was pastoring during the Trump era. And I had to go to the Bible every single week and figure out something to say to a congregation of largely LGBT people, largely um, immigrants. Uh, we were right on near the border in San Diego. And so a lot of the issues that were coming up in the Trump era were directly impacting my people. And I had to ask, does our scripture say anything about these modern ills and is there any wisdom and advice that we can glean from scripture in this modern moment to my surprise. And it truly was a surprise. Even after a decade of studying the Bible, I was skeptical that I would be able to find anything um, that would relate to this modern moment. And yet every week I would find another story that seemed to be written in 2020 or 2021 um, stories like the one I heard growing up in Sunday school, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and uh, facing King Nebuchadnezzar, who is this dictator type ruler who's making people bow down to his version of a God um, under penalty, civil penalty if they don't. And that was such a profound story that reflected so much of what so many of us were feeling during the Trump era and the misuse of religion and forcing this uh, certain version of Christianity on Americans. Um, so all that to say, um, I was surprised at how often the Bible had wisdom to offer our modern moment, um, gave us something to think more deeply about than just what we hear on uh, whatever side of the news media we want to listen to, and um, really challenged us to take our faith seriously and to actually 
tried to do something in our own individual lives that changed our community and uh, made it a little bit more just, a little bit more equal. And so that's what I tried to do in the book, uh, shared those sermons and thoughts that I garnered over all those years. And, um, and yeah, I, I hope it helps people think a little bit more deeply about what we're facing right now. Absolutely. And Brandon, in another part of the book, you discuss the importance of deconstructing walls. And I wish we had all the time in the world to talk about a lot of this book, but, you know, they need to go and buy it, right? I mean, the listeners need to go buy it. So we don't want to give everything away. But in that part of deconstructing walls, you write, for many of us, especially those with privilege, we have believed that our deepest divisions were healed. And then you give a litany of those examples of how you thought, we thought racism was healed. We thought, you know, LGBTQ rights were here to stay. We thought women's reproductive health was, you know, was solidified. And now all of a sudden, all of these things are now in danger. And you talked about how we as people of faith are sometimes susceptible to these misleading thoughts. Why do you think that we buy in when we talk about these big uh, cultural shifts and we feel like we're making progress that sometimes after those moments, we think the job is done and we've won the, we've won the battle. Uh, But then we realize real quickly that there's still more fighting to be done. Yeah. It's kind of, I mean, it's the biggest realization I've continued to have uh, in the past few years is that we've, especially on the left, um, claimed a lot of easy victories. And I don't mean that to diminish the hard work that has gone into sure. changes and laws, but we thought we elected Barack Obama. We had eight years of really significant seeming policy progress, but the thing we didn't do and we didn't invest in that I speak to this personally from being very involved in the LGBT political scene over the past decade. Um, it's easy to win some policy victories, frankly. It's easy to have coastal uh, pundits and celebrities and folks join our causes. And um, it's easy to feel like the whole world has shifted and is now on our side. We've constantly forgotten that there are millions and millions of other people who don't watch the media we watch, don't care what's happening in New York or in San Diego or in, um, and who haven't been provoked to think deeply about these issues and haven't had any evidence to change their minds about the stereotypes and beliefs they have. And so I think far too often we demonize. We just say all those backwater, whatever you want to call them, uh, those people that are so backwards in their beliefs, we don't need to worry about them. Actually, the call, I think, of the gospel and true political strategy that works is don't do the easy path. Don't declare victory. Don't just force uh, your perspective on the nation or presume that your perspective has become the belief of the nation. You actually have to go and do the work of empathizing with those who you disagree with. Mm-hmm. You have to do the work of refusing to demonize even those who might demonize you. And only when you start leaning into that really hard call of Jesus to love our neighbor and love our enemy. That's the only way lasting change is solidified. And I think the biggest indictment on America over the past 50 years is that we've just breezed past doing the heart and mind change work Mm -hmm. in order to win political victories. Political victories are important, but they're not going to stay as long as 75 million people still believe that LGBT people are somehow a threat to their traditional values or, um, being pro-choice is uh, murdering babies. Like we've got to do the work to convince and change them. And in order to do that, we can't patronize them. We can't demonize them. um, And we can't fight fire with fire, which is what I think so many progressives have been doing. Um, And so I think we're learning that now. I think again, just this LGBT, this marriage uh, stuff that's happening right now was a reminder that there's still so much work to do. And as Christians, especially, we should be leading the way and learning how to empathize uh, with those who we consider our enemies um, and showing them a better way. Well said. You also address the complacency and indifferences of many Christians directly. Why do you think many Christians continue to look the other way when injustices are really staring them right in the face, or should I say staring us? Because yeah. <laughs> I think we all need to look and, at the mirror on and, that one. And this is such a great question, Missy, because when I read this part of the book— I just, the echoes of Dr. King's letter from the Birmingham jail just continued to resound in my, in my mind because there are so many Christians that might 
and I hate to characterize anybody this way, but might consider themselves moderates, but mm. tend to be complacent and different about the real struggles that are going on within communities and therefore urge silence, urge patience, urge. And so you did a great job describing this. So, so yeah, talk about this a little bit more. Yeah, no, I think that's precisely correct. And, and to be clear, like this has been a big wrestle for me because I consider myself left of center, but I'm not the most progressive person in the room at any time. And, uh, and I, I do just because of the world I've come from, try to empathize with my more conservative uh, that surround me. And yet very quickly, really it was my own struggle with sexuality and then very quickly becoming an adult and realizing how threatened I became when I finally embraced my queer identity, um, that woke me up to the realization that my evangelical faith, which always taught me that the primary focus of our faith should be helping other people believe the right things to the right church, practice the right rituals, do that kind of stuff. And we didn't have to worry about the rest of this world because ultimately God was going to come and rid the world in the end. That is the theology that I would say a majority of Christians in the country probably entertain and have some version of. Um, it's far easier to look at the world and feel overwhelmed, but then get to say, actually, God's going to take care of it in the end so we can just breathe and be faithful. And that's all we got to do. I get it. But I think that's a fundamental misreading of the gospel. And as you stated, that kind of reading only can take place in a place of privilege. It's not considering the voices of black and brown people who are afraid to walk down streets of major cities because they'll be arrested or killed for a perceived crime or an LGBT person who, uh, again, I'm living in New York City, which is seen as like a liberal bastion. And yet we've had a slew of LGBT hate crimes over the past few weeks, so much so that folks are afraid to go out at night in the gay neighborhood here in New York. I mean, there are real communities that are struggling and fearing for their very existence. Mm -hmm. And so if you aren't adopting Jesus's posture, which was one that went directly into marginalized communities and interacted with those folks and put yourself on the line for them, I don't think you're actually embodying the faith of Jesus. And I think that's the larger message, not just in this book, but that I try to embody these days altogether is a faith that's just about believing, a faith that's just about the supernatural. I understand the need for that, but that is not true Christian faith. True Christian faith requires action, requires interaction with the least of these, the marginalized, requires that you set aside your complacency and choose to get involved in the fray, in the messiness, in the scary realities so many other communities are facing. Yeah. And that's what I hope I'm calling people towards uh, in this book. And what you're encouraging folks to do, as you describe in the book, is to not pursue, but to be on the lookout for what you define as inner reformation. And, you know, you talk about Francis Assisi, you talk about Martin Luther in that chapter, uh, but this seems to be more and more prevalent today, this idea of inner reformation. You cite seven principles in that chapter, love to talk about all of them, but we don't have time. Uh, but why do you think it is so important for individuals to be open to this idea of inner reformation? Because I think it's the heart of the gospel. I think uh, my favorite word these days, and in fact, the community that I lead, I named it after this, is metanoia, which is the Greek word that's often translated as repentance. But actually, if you etymologically break it down, means to expand one's mind. And Jesus's initial proclamation of the gospel begins with metanoia, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Expand your mind, change your perspective, change your point of view because the kingdom of heaven is emerging. The way I understand that is if we are going to see God's renewal of the world, which is what the kingdom of heaven is, it starts by changing the way we believe, changing the way we think, changing the way we see the world around us. Mm -hmm. And so, so much of Christian religion, at least the kind that I came from, was anti-change. It was, I often use the story that when I went to Moody Bible Institute to get in, I had to sign a doctrinal statement. And in order to graduate, I had to sign the same doctrinal statement which means that over four years, I wasn't supposed to learn. I was supposed to go deeper into the same set of beliefs I came in with. That's antithetical, I think, to what Jesus embodied. That's not embracing metanoia. That's not embracing inner transformation. And I think I also talk in a different chapter uh, about 
doubt being evidence of faith, the ability to question and to change and to be skeptical, that's not a sign that there's something wrong with your faith, but actually a sign that your faith is mature and growing and becoming more um, like I believe Jesus calls us to be. Um, and so inner reformation begins before outer reformation is possible. If we want to change the world, it starts with changing our own heart and mind. And um, I think, again, that's what Jesus embodies. I love what you just said. And I want you to kind of expand on that a little bit, uh, Brandon, because, you know, when as Christians, especially those who grew, of us who grew up in the evangelical word or world, the buzzword was conversion, conversion, conversion. And it seemed as though that idea of conversion was almost um, taken over, redefined to to mean more of, as you just defined, uh, kind of an indoctrination, uh, a conformity, if you will, to a certain set of beliefs or a a deeper a deeper belief in what you were told to believe. But when you talk about reformation, transformation, that is not necessarily an indoctrination or um, trying to turn people to a, a single viewpoint. It's more about yeah. the individual. It's about the community. It's about, it's just something different about it, I think. And, and you, you talked about it well, so I'll let you, the expert, talk about it. <laughs> no, no, no. I think, I just think it's almost inconceivable to read the New Testament and walk away with any idea that, that Jesus, Paul, Peter, anybody thought that the purpose of Jesus's community that he created was for us to believe certain things. Certainly Paul creates some doctrinal statements, but they're very brief. They're very concise. And all of Paul's writings is about how Christians should live together in community and live in the world. Uh, Jesus almost never gives any statement of theology or belief. It's all about here's what you should do. And then his life is a demonstration of what you should do. Um, Christian faith has always been about communities of action. It's always been about communities of exploration. Um, by being in proximity to those who are different, we get to transform them for sure, but we're also transformed by them. Um, and that shift for me um, from the model of needing to save the world, which meant getting everybody to agree with me, to actually being saved by the world, because I believe God is in and through all things and all people and all truth is God's truth. That fundamental shift in how we posture our faith, um, I think changes our own understanding of God, changes our own understanding of the world around us, and leads us towards a more humble, a more justice-oriented, a more kind way of being that I think reflects Christ. Well said. So, Brandon, we're going to switch to something a little bit more fun. We're right here coming up on Christmas in just a few days. So I am just want to know what's on your Christmas list this year. That's a good question. <laughs> All these deep, thoughtful questions you were prepared for. This one you were now, What do you want under the tree, about. Brandon? Let's go right to it. <laughs> These are the hardest questions. I still haven't told my parents what I want. But, That's uh, really cruel, Brandon. More. You can't do that to us parents. <laughs> I just need them to send me some money so I can buy more books because that's my addiction and I spend so much money on books. So <laughs> more money for books. Uh, I have a, we have a son um, who's an adult now out in California and he, he and Mitch would always tell me, you know, a book is a, an investment, not a purchase. Yeah. So, that should be in a shrine yeah. somewhere. I'm sure somebody else said it. It <laughs> should be cross-stitch on a pillow or something like uh, that. Maybe that. so. Maybe <laughs> Reverend Brandon Robertson, we thank you so much for being a guest here. The new book is Dry Bones and Holy Wars. You can pick it up wherever you pick up your books. Uh, it is a great read. You will not be disappointed reading through it. But Brandon, before we let you go, we've got one last question. Brandon, as you know, our tagline at Good Faith Media is there's more to tell. So in light of our conversation today and the work that you do, what is your more to tell? Not to be cliche, but I really do believe that uh, the good news of the good faith that we proclaim, that uh, the kingdom of God is at hand, that there is work happening in the world to transform the world and for the world to get better. I still believe that's happening. And I know that in this moment, so easy to focus on the darkness, focus on all the fear and the anxiety, and there's a lot of it, rightfully so. But I want to encourage people, the message of Advent and Christmas is that in the darkest moment, light comes. And um, as, as the prophet wrote, behold, those who walk in the land of great darkness have seen a great light. 
I believe that the arc of the moral universe is bending towards justice, that the spirit of God is still at work. And so don't lose heart. Let's keep the faith, keep being hopeful that God is at work in the world in and through us and continue to bend the arc of the universe towards a more beautiful and just world. Uh, lovely, lovely. For those of you who want to know more about Brandon and his ministry, you can go to brandonrobertson.com and follow him there as well as across his social media platform. He is the TikTok pastor. Brandon, it's been a joy. Thank you, my friend. Thank you so much for having me. Well, Cole, thanks again for stepping in for your mother. She's not feeling well. She's actually in the studio with us, so she may chime in. She's going to be like Roz on Frasier, just every now and again say something smart eloquently. Right. But we've asked you to step in and talk about the interview. You got to listen to our interview with uh, Reverend Robinson uh, this week. I'm going to be really interested to hear your take on this. Growing up as a preacher's kid, uh, church being a part of your life, you know, it was just prominent. It was part of our lives uh, because of my profession. You know, he he talked about belief systems, and he talked about uh, how when he grew up, there was this strict indoctrination to the point where he went to Moody Bible College, and he had to sign a doctrinal statement. And after he graduated, he had to sign a doctoral statement. Um, it was all about trying to shape young minds to conform to this ideology. Now, as you grew up in this house and grew up in the churches that we served in, was how was that different? I mean, we tried not to force our religion upon you or our belief system upon you, but can you talk a little bit about that? How did, how did you react to that part of the interview? Um, you know, I've never really felt like there's like some set in stone, sort of the Bible word of law, like you must follow these tenets and never change from them kind of thing. Um, I also think that's because, I mean, from a young age, I kind of learned that parts of the Bible are just whack. (laughs) (laughs) Expound? (laughs) Yeah, okay, because I mean, like, growing up with the preacher's kid, like, everyone wants to, you know, like, try and corrupt the preacher's kid in some (laughs) way. So, like, I'd have youth ministers or the older kids who'd be like, yeah, you know about this one Bible verse? (laughs) I'd be like, no. (laughs) I I can dress it up a little bit, but there's, like, there's one story of, like, two ladies who go on a... uh, a tour sort of of the homeland <laughs> uh, visiting soldiers barracks and things like that it yeah. goes in depth and it gets crazy but that like learning that i was like oh this the bible's so yeah. like, did just, you learn that in vacation bible school at the churches we were at <laughs> are you asking for names right now I, i'm not snitching um, was that on a felt board how, how did you learn that yeah. lesson? <laughs> <laughs> yeah i feel like just kind of like learning that it just makes you realize that the Bible's a product of its time and more so than anything a historical document. I think it's just like so highly revered. I think uh, Brandon was talking about it as just like, you know, I think this might have been a TikTok that I watched from Brandon, but just like how the Bible's taken as like this, you know, holy word, but really it's like has to be put in the context of sure. like the day and age and everything and to abide by every teaching in the gospel or whatever is kind of like unrealistic. Yeah. And, you know, I appreciate Brandon writing about this and talking about this. Again, go follow him on TikTok. He's known as the TikTok pastor. He's just really, really great uh, and, and does a lot of great lessons and responses to some really bad theology that's out there. But, you know, one of the things that really struck me um, and I guess really inspired me was this notion of the freedom to allow your thoughts and theology to evolve over time. I've always been really confused by pastors and theologians uh, who say, we can glean this particular truth and it's set in stone and it will never change. That seems odd to me because the way we understand God has evolved over time and our theology has evolved over time and and along with it our ethics and social justice Uh, and so for you how how is it important to know that you have the freedom to change your mind or to evolve in your thinking i mean yeah no i change my mind about everything like when i say (laughs) something i'm only like half believing it half just like wanting to know how it sounds out loud yeah sure. because 
Like, you know, you never really know how your beliefs stand up until you talk to someone about it and see them tested and be like, okay, what I said, does, that made sense. They're like, oh my God, no. <laughs> what was I thinking? That made so much more sense in my mind. Yeah, I think that just part of it is so hard to like change minds nowadays because we are in such like uh, like technological social media echo, echo chambers, chambers yeah, yeah. that like we are only experiencing not only like stuff that reaffirms our own beliefs about things, but but like affirms ideas about other people. Cause I mean, the only real exposure I, th you know, that I have like to conservative Republican stuff is, you know, like the Marjorie Taylor green, Lowen Burbert, the crazy, sorry. <laughs> That's right. Your mom does sorry, that all Cliff. the time. <laughs> <laughs> the bat crap crazy. <laughs> the apple does not fall from the tree folks. <laughs> fall oh, far God. from the tree. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's like the only exposure you like, ideas you have about these different groups or whatever is what you're being fed from sure. the news cycles, media, whatever um, communities online. So I think that changing minds, like it has to evolve in some way. And I'm not sure really what kind of form that takes right now, but yeah. I think a lot of it is just like taking a break from social media <laughs> and sure. like, um, especially now that Elon Musk owns Twitter. <laughs> well, another point that Brandon makes is the difference between belief and kind of discipleship. And what I mean by that is that a lot of conservative Christianity, uh, and I would even say moderate to progressive Christianity, seems to focus uh, on belief how you think, what you believe about Jesus, uh, about the Bible, about certain issues. But Brandon seems to push back on that in his book and in a lot of his teachings to remind us it's more about following the example of Jesus. It's, it's being a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think about that? Because, I mean, the church often talks so much about belief, and I was, I've been guilty of it, uh, talking about the importance of certain beliefs. And I do think that's important. It's not something we should negate or forget. But it's at the emphasis of actually following Jesus. What do you think about the difference between those two? I don't know, because like the idea of belief, I think, has two different meanings here. Mm -hmm. um, the one, the belief in like someone's teachings and the way they live life, breathe air, blah blah blah. Um, but then there's also the belief of like, oh, do you think that God had a son? Jesus and like that that story is true like they're just the pure factual like did this happen kind of thing and I don't know I kind of like interpret it as like oh as long as you believe that this story is true and that you know that there's a higher deity Jesus and that he died and rose and all that like that's just kind of like the the belief there right. but then it's when you get into the lessons I think that it is where there's like wiggle room sure <laughs> I guess for lack of a better word where it's like, oh, you know, you can believe, you know, that you can love your neighbors, but love looks different to people. And that's kind of where it's hard. Like, what does loving someone look like? Do you yeah. want to love and do you want to love and accept someone for who they are? Or do you want to love someone by saving their soul from damnation? Like, sure. No, I get that. So I think one of the things I would want to ask while I still have a little bit of a voice is that, um, for example, I think to you a lot when I think of, like Brandon said, he said, Jesus just says, hey, come follow me. I'm going to show you. I'm going to give you an example of how to live. And I will ask you now, I'll put you on the spot. Exactly how many times did you darken the doors of a church while you were in college? Oh, like whenever y'all visited. <laughs> <laughs> However, one thing that I know that impacted me, you were in college in Boston, is that Every time we were out on the streets in Boston and someone asked you for a dollar, you gave it to them every time. And I just remember that was kind of impactful for me that you were just showing generosity, you were showing love of neighbor, um, and you just, just something you did. I mean, it wasn't even some, I don't know, it just, it just seems so natural to you to just someone needs help, I'm going to help them. Yeah, I wasn't trying to, like, show off or anything. <laughs> <laughs> no. No, no. But uh, I know no, you and I think There was it's a guy just in the like, subway one time that was walking up and down just begging, and, you, and nobody was, 
and you got up from your seat and you're like, somebody give him a five and you did. And it was just, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, like if I have the cash on me, like I'll try and give money to the homeless uh, population. Um, Cause I mean, I don't know at the end of the day, they're going to use it how yeah. they want to use it. Whether Sure. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't like, really matter. I'm just yeah. trying to help yeah. a dude. Somebody's asking for money. Like my friends right. ask me for money. I'll give them money. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think your mom is absolutely right. I mean, just it's an example of uh, what we have gotten wrong about the Christian faith, that it seems to be more about a set of beliefs or a set of actions that you do, like go to church or tithe or what, and it's less about actually making an impact within the culture and helping those uh, that are in need. And uh, whether those are marginalized people, whether those are immigrants uh, who are migrating across the country, uh, we could talk a lot about that. Uh, but that's uh, we'll save that for another pod. Um, but you know, it's it, it's all it's a bad example, and that's one of the things that we've been trying to tout at Good Faith Media. And you know, you may have heard us talk about not too long ago. I uh, declared that I am no longer a Christian. Uh, but refer to myself as a Jesus follower. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Established uh, religion's crazy. <laughs> uh, but I think that's what uh, Brandon is, is trying to get out as well, is, you know, well, belief is important, and that helps us form our theological construct. How we act in that manner is just as important. And it goes back to what Jesus said, you know, love God, love others as you would love yourself. We cannot separate the ideal of love with the action of love. Those go hand in hand. So, mm-hmm. And I, I think you demonstrate that with your life. Yeah. I, I don't know. I just try to, you know, do right by the people that I can do right by. But also, I'm not going to say that if there's people I don't like, I don't. You know, like, I'm not going like, yeah. to go my way for people I don't. Yeah, like. well, but again, that's the human yeah, in me. No, that's that's the human, human in me. Yeah. Like we're, we can't be perfect. Sure, like, sure. I mean, I mean, Jesus himself said they're brood of vipers in the world. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, like he said, love them. He didn't say right, you have to be nice to let's them. Let's cut <laughs> him off before he gets us into any more trouble. All right. Well, Cole, thank you so much for joining us. Merry Christmas! And one last question before we go. All three of us, I guess, can answer. Mitch, favorite Christmas gift ever? Favorite Christmas gift ever. I think it had to be a baseball glove when I was a kid. Okay. Cool. Um, probably a dog. Oh, oh that was good. Yeah, Santa did the one thing that Santa's never supposed to do and brought a puppy. Yeah. Yeah. And yours? A Cabbage Patch doll. Well, I'm, of a, course. I'm a girl of the 80s, you guys. <laughs> uh, well, we hope you and yours have a very Merry Christmas and that you get to spend lots of family time. And just remember to give somebody a hug this holiday season because it's not great for everybody. There are people out there who are alone, who this is a difficult time for them. So call on them, check on them, and make certain they know that they are loved. Merry Christmas. You've been listening to Good Faith Weekly, hosted by Mitch and Missy Randall. This weekly podcast from Good Faith Media discusses matters of faith and culture. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast and give us a like and a glowing review. We produce the podcast out of Norman, Oklahoma. Our music comes from Pond 5. And we're supported by listeners like you. Learn more about us at goodfaithmedia.org.